Hello, Sarah. Hi, Kim. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well today. Uh, how about you? Uh, I'll be honest, it's been a little bit of a wild day. Um, if you notice a difference in my sound quality, I am calling into this Zoom because my Wi-Fi was like, no, nah, I'm good. Um, so uh. I am offline, which makes my totally virtual job very easy to do. But I'm thrilled to be able to join on the phone because I did not want to miss our guest today. I know. We're so lucky to have these guests. It's a mother-daughter duo, and it's just a (laughs) dynamic duo. And we uh, know the daughter very well. We've had her on the podcast before. Cammie Pastor is here along with her mother, Lisa. So uh, Lisa and Cammie, you want to introduce yourselves? Hi. Yeah, I've definitely been on here a few times before. And for some reason, they keep asking me back. But this time, I'm really excited that I'm here (laughs) to tell her stories. And I'm Lisa Pastor, and I'm Cammie's mom. What could be more important than being Cammie's mom? (laughs) (laughs) That's your number one job, right? But there are some other things that you do as well. That's right. In your spare time. So one of the things that we wanted to talk about is you have been transitioning to the tech field and just wondering like what that story is. What were you doing before? What sort of prompted this move and what are you doing now? Okay, I will try and make that not such a long story. (laughs) So I had spent about um, 15 plus years doing public health research, doing women's health research. I have um, a PhD in epidemiology and just really wanting to do something different. Looked long and hard at my skills and realized, you know, I have an undergraduate math background. And math and computers and analysis have always been important to me and part of my jobs. But I've never had a position that would fall into a usual tech field. Although I think I've learned an awful lot about how broadly tech can be defined. But about a year ago, I said, you know, I really want to become a data scientist. It just brings in a lot of my skills and interests and my general orientation, um, you know, kind of what are more my fundamental strengths, data analysis and being creative. But along the way of applying for jobs and studying uh, for certifications as a data scientist, I was offered a job as a COVID-19 epidemiologist for the Virginia Department of Health. And that's what I'm doing now. It gave me the break from what I was doing that I sought. This would not be considered a data scientist position, but it might very well also be the most important job, uh, the most impactful job I will ever hold in my lifetime. There are certainly major pluses to it even if it's a pretty intense job. What is the job? (laughs) What do you do? What it sounds very important. So, you know, fundamentally an epidemiologist studies disease in groups of people, as opposed to you go to your doctor and, you know, your doctor's helping you figure out what's happening with you. So epidemiologists look at disease in large groups of people. And so I've been doing that sort of research, but as a COVID-19 epidemiologist, I am helping 
the team of people, and I'm with the uh, Rappahannock Area Health District, which is around the Fredericksburg, Spotsylvania area, and I help them to sometimes see patterns for the COVID-19 spread in our district, but I also see certain um, what we call outbreak teams. So the whole continuum is case investigation and contact tracing for people who have actually tested positive or been near someone who's tested positive to get those people to isolate and quarantine to stop the spread. But then we have these outbreak teams and um, they fall into three different categories of businesses, long-term care facilities like nursing homes and assisted livings and school settings. And I oversee some of those teams as we are talking to people all the time and trying to make a difference right then, right there. No, you cannot you know, that person who is tested positive, who is working in your workplace, yes, they need to go home. They should not be working today. <laughs> or, uh, I know some of this sounds a little silly, but or saying, okay, you know, these other people were exposed. Yes, you should have them, you know, stay home and have them telework if they can and give advice and give perspective. And sometimes we have to be, you know, very creative in our solutions. And sometimes it's obvious and and then navigating the what people are or not willing to do as individuals and trying to give all the guidance from the Virginia Department of Health and the Centers for D- Disease Control. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Thank you for doing that. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> we were, I was on a call with our families this weekend and we have people in Tennessee, New Jersey, Texas, Virginia, and Vermont. And it was amazing, like, first of all, how all those different states do things so differently related to COVID, especially the vaccines, we're talking about the vaccines, and also mm-hmm. how much we know about, you know, I know, I know there's a lot we don't know, but like, we're, all, we're, we're becoming these, you know, we're learning way more about viruses than I think we would have ever, you know, considered knowing about in the past. Yes, I have no doubt that this will raise the overall like the, almost like the medical intelligence of the average person and their ability yeah. to, you know, think about these things. Because, I mean, I, I make a joke on it, about it sometimes when I'm on the phone with somebody, whoever thought that PPE would be like a, a part of normal conversation. <laughs> you know, uh, 11 months ago, when we started hearing about this, nobody knew what PPE even stood for. I'd never heard of it. And now it's part of language. I think that's something that's been really interesting to me, hearing all of your stories over the dinner table and things like that, is that um, even though you're an epidemiologist and you're studying this disease for a whole health district, that a lot of times it comes down to an individual's knowledge or understanding of how the virus works and their decisions on you know, how they want to react or how they, they want to keep themselves and others safe. And that can change the whole game for an entire region. And you are absolutely right. You know, and that's something else in terms of, you know, how this changes, how this whole experience will change people. Right now, everybody has to make risk decisions all day long for everything. So risk is something we talk about all the time as an epidemiologist. 
and people in workplaces have talked about risk in different ways, you know, like in a bank, you know, risk has to do with, you know, whether or not you're going to, you know, pay back that loan. But now everybody is assessing risk, you know, do you go to that restaurant or not? You know, going up to a drive up window, do you have to put on that mask or not? And then, of course, you have a lot of people who are just sick and tired of the whole thing. And so it, it runs a great gamut. And, you know, Cammie, I'm sure you can talk more about what you do or you don't see at the university or, <laughs> you know, there's certainly impacts of also all COVID and, you know, the whole telework aspect, you know, in the tech field. Actually, I'm probably taking off in another, another direction. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that's good because I was... The other thing my husband and I were talking about is like, imagine if this happened 20 years ago or 30 years ago, and we didn't have all the tech and we didn't have all the ways of dealing with remote work and stuff. It would have been so different. Absolutely. And people in the tech field actually are more likely to have the skills and some familiarity to work remotely. And for someone who like, you know, with me has like a math background and wants to do, you know, data science, being able to work with your data at home and have your programs at home, a lot of that is quite capable of doing. So I think people in the tech field are probably in a better position to be able to telecommute and keep a job if their job is still there mm-hmm. in a COVID world. But, you know, working in a grocery store, I'm sorry, there is no telework option for working in a grocery store. I wanted to talk a little bit more about your thinking about, you know, and the things that you have been doing to transition to a tech job. And I know that this isn't it yet, but I assume that you're still on that course. And I know you have a daughter who studies computer science is very much in the tech world. And I'm just wondering what kind of conversations you all have about this. I guess from my perspective, I feel like it's been a slow transition because we do have a very talky, very lively dinner table. And so, you know, I'm an only child, so uh, I have no choice but to, to hang out with both my parents. And so we sort of talk about everything all the time. So I've talked about plenty of stuff my courses, but more, you know, technology in the news. And especially the other times I've been on this podcast, we've talked a lot more about MozFest, Tech Girls, you know, diversity in STEM, new educational practices. Even recently, they've been looking a lot at facial recognition and and other sorts of algorithms that sort of encode bias. Uh, And that's sort of really my most interesting area. So I tend to talk about that a lot, but for me, I don't think that my mom is really going through so much of a transition because like she said, she has a background in math and then for public health, she's done biostatistics. So she's essentially been programming for years and years and she definitely understands how to, you know, think logically and programmatically and also how to be creative, which is really what computer science is. So I think it, it, it really, watching her journey made me realize how sometimes people who specifically major in computer science or data analytics or anything are so quick to gatekeep what that means, even though I think all of us on this call know that computer science and technology is is one of the broadest terms we can use now. But I I really feel like it's not so much of a transition because she's using all of the skills she's had in all of her previous jobs. And I'd say from my perspective, Cami being a computer science major has definitely 
influenced my career thoughts in practical and broad ways. You know, the broad ways are she, because of, you know, either her internships she's taken or talking about different employers, I've thought about different possibilities for myself, become aware of different organizations like um, Charlottesville Women in Tech, as well as different employers and job boards. And in a more practical basis, you know, I also think my skills are perfect. I think this is a, it could be a very seamless transition, but I also think that maybe because of the gatekeepers, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not sure I look like a card carrying data scientist. So I have also spent quite a few months exploring, did I want to go for a master's? Do I want to go study for anything in particular? And I did find a uh, fully remote master's program. I get that because it was a master's, maybe it was a certificate. I'm not exactly sure, but it was through a university. And I looked at it very seriously. And then I sat down with Cami and I said, you know, you're going to be able to read these course descriptions and understand them more than I will. Can you help me determine which of these two tracks would be best for me? And she was able to look at it and say, basically, which, which courses were going to give me a, you probably didn't talk about it, Cami, like a hard deliverable, but it was a skill like a skill that I could actually put somewhere on my resume or my LinkedIn mm-hmm. or someplace and say, I learned X, Y, Z, as opposed to these really broader soft skills, which not really needing the soft skills with my work experience. And so you helped me evaluate it. And in the end, I decided not to go for either program and do something else instead. So that was extremely beneficial. Yeah, there are a I lot of that. words in computer science. So I, I think sometimes having someone who's either in the field or more connected to the field you're trying to go into sort of gives you almost a translator. So you can say, okay, that, that course doesn't actually teach you any programming. You're just kind of going to look at pictures of computers <laughs> or even knowing when going into a job interview, sometimes people are looking for the most specific things. And if it doesn't matter what your prior skills are. If you don't, if you don't know the language that they're looking for, then you're automatically going to be disqualified, which is really a bummer, but it is the way things are. So you have to be prepared for it. It sounds like there's almost a loop of people don't want to go in because they have a little bit of imposter syndrome or thinking that they don't belong. And then the language describing that first step is, can maybe stop people from wanting to get involved. You can't know the language until you get involved, but you can't get involved if you don't know the language. And I wonder how how much gatekeeping happens there. How many people don't get involved because they look at those courses and it's really hard to tell from the outside what's happening in there. And maybe job descriptions too. I'll give just a quick story that sort of always haunts me related to that. I was hanging out with a friend a while back and he told me that when he was in his internship, they do some sort of evaluation or assessment at the end of the semester or the summer where you have to meet with one of the big bosses at the company. And I don't know, however you do then, they'll evaluate your performance during the internship and decide if they want to give you a full-time offer. And my friend's manager told him that if he didn't use this one slang term or abbreviation for a certain software, that he would not get a job offer. 
And I was floored because that has nothing to do with his performance for the entire summer, which they've watched. So they know how he is, you know, in terms of his hard technological skills and what he's like as a person. And sometimes they care about these little things, these image-based things. And, you know, he was able to use this term and get the job. But if he hadn't had that in through his manager, he could have done the exact same job the whole summer and it wouldn't have made a difference. Gosh, that sounds like a tech bro thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that exactly what so I thought. Frustrating. And I wondered if I would have gotten that since I'm not a tech bro, if right, I would have found right. out about that term. We've talked to Cami about this a lot, but Lisa did a session at the Charlottesville Women in Tech Summit last fall called Self-Assurance in the Imposter Syndrome and shared some awesome resources. And we're going to share the video. I know we're going to share the video link in our resource page, but Lisa just wanted to, we don't have a lot of time, but if you want to just give a little summary and why you are passionate about this topic. I think imposter syndrome and lower self-assurance is just very common in women, regardless of where you are, um, like what level job you have in your organization. I know people have told me in the workplace that I come across as very self-confident, but I absolutely have either walked into a meeting or walked out of a meeting and thought, I do not know what I'm doing. And those are not necessarily contrary. It's very real. And why I want to be able to talk to people about this is to help everyone become, first of all, a little more aware of how common it is because some women talk easily about everything and all their doubts with other people and others don't talk to anybody about it. And if you know that you're not alone and it's common, I think that just helps dissipate those negative voices in the first place. I also, I had raised in the seminar that there was a, there was also some nice distinctions between when you have a negative feedback loop, that's maybe just those common voices that you can put aside and move beyond. And in contrast with it, the negative voices that end up being an anchor for you and don't let you succeed to your full potential. And I think being able to distinguish that is also important. So yeah, if anybody wants to look at that website link, I think there actually were some helpful tips in it. It was uh, was very unusual to give that presentation through a 100% virtual conference. I have... Mm talked about that topic before in a room where you could actually have a conversation with other people. And then it's really enlightening because you can have cross conversation. People can share some of their stories. I guess kind of like we're doing right now. We're, we're all talking and we're all sharing and we're learning from each other and there's engagement. Speaking at a virtual conference was very different for me. <laughs> I think it was very different for all of us, <laughs> but we're doing what we got to do, right? Like, <laughs> well, exactly. And it sounds like so many negative things that hold us back. Imposter syndrome really thrives in the shadows 
when it's not talked about and when it's kind of pushed to the side and everybody pretends that they're not feeling it. And so by leading this session, you're shining a light on it and really being a role model and being vulnerable and saying, this is something I've dealt with, which sets the tone for everybody else to say, oh my gosh, she's so successful and amazing. And she felt it. Now I can finally admit that I feel it. And then as soon as you have a community, it's not in the dark anymore. Exactly. Right, right. And you were, you were totally right. And even if you still don't want to share your own stories with somebody else, at least to hear it. And that, and that actually is one of the good things about a virtual conference, because then you can sometimes share these things and you're not, you're not really a known face. It's not, it's not the person who works next to you in the office. And it can be more anonymous but um, yes, I think I think in general, knowing that you're not alone is a huge thing. And hearing somebody else and the way that they have either struggled and overcome or the little things that they do. You know, we all have to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, as they say, or keep taking that one step in front of another at some point in our lives. And that's just real life. But some of these, some of the things having to do with um, self-assurance and imposter syndrome are a little more specific to women, not specific to, well, the only way that it might be more specific to tech is that in the tech field, it's more historically male dominated. And it's definitely lingo restricted to kind of get back to what we were talking about before. There is Mm -hmm. certain language that you might be expected to use there's also that language that changes over time so that Tammy and her education now is going to talk about things differently than her mother's generation might talk about things. And all of those end up being some fences that um, we either figure out how to hurdle or break through or not. And mm-hmm. it's just journeys, you know, at some point it's, it's whatever journey you want for your life and hopefully something that's uh, satisfying. Yeah, that is so true. Well, we only have just mm-hmm. a few minutes left and Cami, you are in your last semester and just wondering what you're looking forward to. <laughs> yes, I am in my last semester at Virginia Tech and I'm really excited to graduate. It's definitely a little different than I expected it to feel, probably because we're in a global pandemic that's taken up the entire school year. Obviously, it's affected everyone across the world and across the U.S., but I think it has been a a weird phase to experience it in college because you're on your own, so at least you're not stuck necessarily living in a situation like I know for a lot of friends, people who are younger, you can kind of feel stuck in a family home but you're not really living your normal life out in the real world so college is so dependent on on interaction on seeing so many people all the time you know even friends in class going to office hours and all the things you do in between classes so I think it really hit me over winter break that this is really it and it's the last semester but I've loved computer science for a long time. You, you know, Kim and Sarah, I've been working with you all since high school. So um, <laughs> fortunately, I remember at orientation for the College of Engineering, they were like, 50% of you are going to change your mind about your major over the course of college. And I was like, that'll never be me. And you know what? It wasn't. <laughs> I still really love computer science. And I'm excited to be able to 
practice it out in the real world. And I hope that it's what I want it to be. But I think my mom's journey has been pretty inspirational for me in that you don't have to stick with something if you don't like it. And you can use your core set of skills that you know you're good at and your interests to pivot. But there's no reason to stay in something that's not engaging or fulfilling because there's so many other jobs out there and you can go get them and, and make that career journey whatever you want it to be. Awesome way to end I the love program. <laughs> yes. Lisa, I'm all teary-eyed here. <laughs> yes, you should, you should be very proud. <laughs> of each other. There's so much support from both directions and the way you're inspiring each other is so, so great. I love it. We are very lucky, both of us. We're actually coming out with a mother-daughter coloring book. Um, oh, all about empowering women. <laughs> please do, I please do. <laughs> please, I would totally buy that. You know, I would. <laughs> well, Lisa and Cami, thank you so much for joining us on this episode, and we uh, look forward to seeing the journey that both of you go on. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. This was actually quite fun. Thank you. Yay, thank you. I, oh. I have never done a podcast before and this was very cool. Awesome. Well, now you can add that to your list. Note like I am now a podcaster. Like <laughs> add it to the things I can do. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time. Tech, love, and happiness. <laughs>